Hello and welcome to the Women of Web3 podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Ingram. I'm also the founder of Women of Web3. We're a community that's connecting women in the next iteration of the internet through jobs, learning resources and connections. Today we have a really special guest, the brilliant Lindsay McInerney, who is one of the leading voices in the Web3 space and she's CEO of a blockchain company she started with Hollywood actress Mila Kunis. Before that, she was Global Head of Technology and Innovation at global drinks brand AB InBev, where she made a name for herself with Stella Artois' major partnership with digital horse racing platform ZRun on a series of branded NFTs. And as a result, she was named on the 30 most influential people in the metaverse. So before I fangirl too much, let me introduce you to Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Ah, oh, brilliant. So I always start off with a quick jargon buster, as every day is a school day in Web3. How would you describe what Web3 is for absolute beginners? Absolute beginners. Look, at I think I think people need to think about the internet as as having a couple of different phases. And Web3 is really just the next phase of the internet. Most people don't know when we entered Web2. They don't you know, know what the technologies were that sort of signified that departure from Web1 to Web2. But it's really just different eras. And I think the hallmarks of Web2 were platforms that people use every single day. Things like YouTube, Flickr. Twitter, Facebook, you know, that kind of thing. And what was really different about those was that, you know, you could actually very simply create content. And so some people might have heard of the social web and that it was, you know, that that's what Web2 sort of became known for. And we're entering a phase now of Web3, which is just means that we're introducing new technologies to the internet. And I think some of the key technologies being introduced now are things like crypto, which mm-hmm. sounds scary. It's really just, you know, an economic layer to the internet. Things like, you know, more spatial universes and worlds, uh, which, you know, we're seeing coming out of gaming, but is, is going to, I think, start to shape up different parts of the internet. And, and why is that happening? Because we have faster internet, higher broadband, 5G is, is emerging. We have VR headsets that are now outselling consumer you know, interfaces like the Xbox and, and other video game consoles. So, you know, it's it's a converging of a number of different technologies all at once that are just going to, you know, shape a shift that most people won't feel. A lot of people don't remember going to the mobile web from desktop. They just have computers in their pockets now and, and everybody runs around on them. But there was an era where we kind of made this distinct shift from desktop computing to mobile and from web one to web two. And, you know, something very similar will happen here where we're just going to start to shift and new technologies will be introduced and people will adopt them and start to use them every day without having to, you know, call it one thing or another. And that's really, that's really what's happening right now. Yeah, exactly. People will always be a bit fearful to begin with while we don't understand it yet. And I think especially with terms like crypto, I feel like, you know, because it sounds like cryptic. And so there's something a bit it yeah, does intimidating. Like we lose a lot of people as soon as we say crypto and, yeah. it, you know, it can sound really intimidating. But, you know, that's really my goal is to is to kind of, you know, keep it simple you know, focus on concepts that everybody's going to find digestible and and find a place, a way to meet people where they're at right now. Exactly. So it feels like you've always been interested in technology and in sort of internet culture. Can you give me a super brief history of your career? Super brief history. Look, I'm an internet nerd, man. I, uh, <laughs> I mean, I can remember spending my youth on Buffy the Vampire Slayer chat rooms. You know, that certainly was Web 1.0. I'll oh tell you God. that much. But you know, I've always been fascinated by technology. I ended up writing an, a thesis in university on hacktivism, and I think that was really marrying my love for technology and politics, and you know, seeing the way that the internet could mobilize people, bring them together. You know, I discovered a lot of sub communities and cultures on the internet, and I love that about the internet. It's a 
ability to kind of spread community and spread culture and help people find their groups and their their other people. And, uh, you know, so it didn't really surprise anyone when I ended up jumping into technology after university, uh, despite not having studied anything technical whatsoever, more sort of like the culture and the, and the you know, surrounding communities of technology. Um, rode the first wave of, of social media really hard. I, you know, like I said, I'd written this thesis in hacktivism. I saw social media as this emerging technology that would allow people to create more niche communities and spaces for each other on the internet and find their people and connect with people like them. And I was really hopeful and optimistic about what web two could do. And then I became really disillusioned by what I saw happening. So, you know, I did jump into social. I, I spent a lot of time working at different tech companies in that era, but, you know, became sort of disappointed by how it was affecting people and by how, you know, data was being seen and, and people were sort of seen more as the product. I fell in love with VR tremendously in 2016, intentionally went after a couple different companies thinking, all right, I'm just going to go into VR. Like, how cool is it that people can put on a simple headset, which actually was not so simple at the time, which is sort of the problem, which is why I never got into VR in that era. But, you know, I, I saw it as this cool way people could put on this headset and go to all these different crazy cool places that they might never get to venture to otherwise didn't end up getting into VR then because like I said the technology just wasn't there it was too expensive it was hard to use it was clunky there mm. weren't enough creators there wasn't enough content to make it interesting and so I had kind of what I call my lost years in technology where I sort of floated through as somebody who could um, you know understand difficult technological concepts and sort of communicate them easily to people but I didn't really find anything I loved I ended up joining Anheuser-Busch InBev, uh, the world's largest brewer, as global head of tech and innovation. And this is sort of like the exit from my last years. I ended up writing a thesis there in 2020 on crypto, Web3, metaverse, and NFTs for brands. And then in early 2021, launched Stella Artois into the metaverse in a partnership with Zed Run, which is a crypto horse racing game and a premium sporting platform in the metaverse. Launched that and naively believed that I'd just be sort of validating my thesis with a very tiny quarter of the internet, but it absolutely exploded, was a heck of a lot of fun. And led me to what I'm doing now, which is I have partnered with a couple of really cool cats and OGs in crypto. Um, Mila, Mila Kunis, who is, uh, is of course an, an actor, but also producer, super nerd, gamer, and a huge fan of, of what's going on in the crypto space. Lisa Sturbakov, who is Mila's producing partner and has been producing traditional film and television with Mila for a number of years and is a proper degen at this point, as well as uh, Morgan Beller, who actually founded Libra at Facebook and has been mm. in crypto since you know day zero, and Maria Bajwa, who's a partner at Sound Ventures and is focusing on their Web3 uh, crypto space. So decided to, to launch a business is focusing on the intersection of entertainment and web three amazing so you're like i mean honestly wow your career that uh so you're, you're fully in in web three now what do you think was your sort of light bulb moment because it, it feels like all the factors were there you know that would get you interested in it was there a kind of like yes i need to dive into this right now what inspired you to get into it yeah t totally look i mean i had um I had been introduced to Bitcoin in 2011, but the folks that had introduced me to to Bitcoin, it just it just didn't feel like my scene. It didn't they didn't feel like my cats, and so I'd kind of followed the technology from you know from afar because I was kind of I was interested in it as a technology. It was a really interesting concept. You know, same thing with Ethereum. Thought it was really cool. And then in, in 2017, I started to hear about uh, you know crypto kitties and NFTs, and again started to get really interesting. But the real light bulb moment for me, which you know some folks in crypto will laugh at was NBA Top Shot. You know, 
it was this moment where NFTs had become something where the average consumer, the average human being, the average people didn't have to know what was happening under the surface. They could just go have this really cool, rich, fun experience. They could buy, trade, collect, sell, and own things with other people that were like them on the internet. Mm. And they knew they owned what they thought they owned. It was in their wallets. And they could do it without even having to know what a blockchain was, what crypto was, without having to buy Ethereum, without having to buy Bitcoin or, or kind of like, you know, solve three other tech problems before they got to actually buying a basketball dunk. You know, so like I said, I've been following NFTs and how they were sort of, you know, creeping along and, and on the Internet. And I called my cousin in Canada. His name is Sean. He's a huge sports guy. And I was kind of like, you know, but he's not a huge tech guy. And I was like, you know check out this website. Let me know what you think. And within a couple minutes, he'd slapped his credit card down and was able to buy, trade and collect basketball cards. And he didn't need to know that it was a blockchain or anything else. So, so that was the real light bulb moment for me where I was like, Hey, we, we're finally hitting this point where I think more human beings are going to be able to use it. We don't have to talk about the technology itself. We can just talk about the fun, cool thing it enables. And it started to feel like magic, right? Like Steve Jobs always talks about how technology should feel like magic. And of course, you know, if you really think about what your iPhone is, it is pretty darn magic. And that was this moment for me where I was like, damn, NFTs are finally in this place. And that means crypto is finally in a place where it's having its magic consumer moment, mm. first great consumer use for dough. I think there were a lot of real parallels there as well that made sense for me and as, as well the average consumer where if you're a collector or you're a trader, like I grew up in Canada collecting hockey cards, um, <laughs> right? So like, I mean, as you do, we're, we're born with skate on our feet and, um, and we all collect hockey cards. And I grew up collecting all these different collections of hockey cards. And so it made complete sense and paralleled the real world experience, you know, ex exactly, it was identical. And so I had grown up, you know, looking for the serial numbers of my cards, trying to collect the full set, you know, knowing that if I held in my hand serial number 222 of a thousand, that was pretty darn rare. And I knew I had, you know, all of this cool stuff. And, and NBA Top Shot did exactly that. They just put this experience on the internet where you knew if you owned Kyle Lowry, number 222 of a thousand, that you were one of only a thousand collectors that could have that thing. And it was such a perfect mirror of this thing that already made sense. And I think, you know, it, it's, it really helped a lot of collectors of things, certainly sports fans understand, um, you know, that they could have this experience that they've loved and cherished in reality, but on the internet, where of course the communities are so much bigger. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I love the fact that you're clearly a complete nerd and <laughs> so am I. Um. <laughs> It hasn't made me very popular, but yeah, like to to total nerd and, and total sports fan. So yeah, it, it, that was that was a really fun a fun moment to sort yeah. of watch these two things converge. Exactly. So how did you manage to do that with Stella Artois and Zed Run, the collaboration? Because no other big brands were doing that kind of thing, and like getting a beer brand, you know, that, that's quite a gamble. That's really exciting. Like how? And that was in twenty twenty one. So like, yeah, n nobody was doing that kind of thing then. And then you made what like a, a million dollars on NFTs, right? <laughs> Yeah, look, I mean, it all comes back to sports again. My my thesis is that metaverse in general, we haven't talked about metaverse, but as another big, you know, a big what the heck's that word. It's not even in the dictionary is, uh, you know, as Kathy Hackle will point out, she still looks it up, I think a couple of times a week uh, in the morning. She'll go into Merriam-Webster and Google it. And, and if it's not there, she goes, yeah, we're still early, which we are. But metaverse is a term that comes from science fiction. And 
you know, it is for everybody you'll ask, you'll get a different definition. So I'm just going to tell you that for me, the metaverse really is the converging of the digital and the physical. For me, it doesn't mean we're all walking around with VR headsets. It will be, it will, you know, embody, yeah, of course, VR in some ways for a completely immersive experience, but it will also be augmented reality. It will also be tablet based. It's also going to be mobile. It's going to be, you know, your desktop. It, it can't be any place that mm. uh, technology intersects with reality. And, and if we get it really right, hopefully it creates a much more seamless world for us to operate in, which I can get into later. But I just wanted to sort of like define metaverse, right? And so, you know, metaverse. I think, you know, will parallel reality very much for, for a lot of people. And that's where brands will do really well to play. And so in, in my thesis, I'd said that, you know, brands will parallel in metaverse what they do in reality. And that's where consumers will expect to find them and sort of engage with them, you know, well, and in a way that makes sense and feels natural. And so in reality, Stella Artois is, if you abstract the beer away from from the brand. Anheuser-Busch InBev is one of the world's largest sponsors of sports, media, and entertainment. And Stella Artois is a sponsor of premium sporting events. So you can think right. of like Wimbledon and there's a very premium horse race in the United Kingdom that they also sponsor. And so this was an opportunity for them to parallel what they do in reality in metaverse by effectively sponsoring a premium horse race in this new digital world and nailing, you know, one of the, you know, one of the sort of passion points for, for the brand. And so we partnered with Zedrun. It all came together mega, mega quickly. Like it was slow, slow, then all at once. We launched 50 bundles of digital horses, a commemorative art piece, as well as a, a Stella Artois skin that allowed people to sort of race their three-dimensional horses down this racetrack in Zed Run, uh, you know, with the Stella skin on it. We also launched a 3D universe and a, a 3D racetrack that they could race their horses along that was inspired by the Life Artois, which was a campaign that had been being built in, you know, two dimensions for a, a number of years. And it was the first time people could really immerse themselves completely in the Stella Artois brand and, and world that had been being mm -hmm. created. Mm -hmm. And so we, we launched those and in five days indeed sell a lot of, well, sold out of all of these, these horses. Importantly to me, you know, we wanted to add a lot of value to the Zed Run universe and ecosystem and the community there and the creators there, you know, and I think we, I don't know, I think we had, we had fun with them and we, and I think we kind of, you know, we kind of nailed it. You're, you're, you're right. We were, we were really early. We were the first beer brand in the metaverse. We were one of the first big brands to, you know, to make a play certainly. And mm. uh, we were the first FMCG brand in the, in the metaverse as well. So yeah, really, really proud of that one. Yeah. I mean, and then you've gone from literally from strength to strength because you're now, as you've said, you, you're CEO of a company with, that you've co-founded with Mila Kunis. No big deal. Um, <laughs> so can you tell me what is Sixth Wall and how did you end up founding a company with a Hollywood actor? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will. So look, I mean, after after we'd, we'd had this this Zed Run experience, I um, I started connecting with and talking with a lot of people who were really keenly building out the future and, and were looking to find other folks who were as nerdy as they were and, and building stuff out. So I'd spoken to a few different venture capital firms and I had spoken to a few anonymous folks on the internet who were kind of like, you should start something. This could be interesting. Yeah. Um, some big brands. And then one of the folks that I was introduced to who I knew from his race to a million Twitter followers and work at Sound Ventures was Ashton Kutcher. And Ashton Kutcher has a $50 million crypto fund, which I, I think actually could be even larger now 
now I, I got to confirm the number, but he had a 15, $50 million crypto fund. Anyways, at Sound Ventures and um, had been, you know, applying a lot of diligence to the space and really following it. He, he'd been a big investor in, in Bitcoin and, and in Ethereum and other crypto for, you know, for a number of years. And so we, we connected because I was talking with a lot of venture capital firms at the time, um, you know, just to figure out what was what and, you know, who, who, who were going to be the builders. So Ashton and I, we connected, we really got on. That he had just been part of Mila's launch of Stoner Cats, uh, which was one of the first entertainment-based NFT projects in the space that mm. uh, linked up to an animated series, uh, which which I can talk about, you know, more. Um, and and AK and I really got along, and he said, you know, you should meet my wife Mila, and I was like, that sounds great. And I went downstairs and I was like, um, to my partner, I was like, oh yeah, the call, call with Ashton went great. Like he said, I should meet his his wife um, Mila. Um, I had no idea who Mila was, which is embarrassing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was, I've been made fun of a lot for that, but you know, I, I met, I met, met with Mila. We got on really well. Um, and I got on really well with Morgan and, and Maria and Lisa and the rest of the team who'd been part of launching Stoner Cats. And, um, we just decided that we should build a business and that's sort of where we are. Wow. It's yeah. <laughs> I try not to fangirl you, but basically that's very cool. So so you've created the gimmicks, right? So how does it work and like how, how can people participate in, like, yeah, get involved? Yeah, let me, so yeah, so the first project out of the business, so we, we decided to call the business the sixth wall and that's for the nerdy reason that in film and television, you've got the fourth wall, which is where mm. the actor breaks, which I think people will be familiar with like Fleabag, right? Where, you know, the, the, the character breaks with the, the show and talks directly to the audience. Um, the fifth wall in film and TV is when the actor makes this like micro reference to themselves. And so the sixth wall we imagine is, is a convention where we can actually involve the audience in the creation of content content and the creation of shows. And so the Stoner Cats had had been one of, like I said, one of the first projects to do that. You know, gorgeous show. It was launched on the Ethereum blockchain. Some really cool, amazing people working on that, uh, you know, from Pixar, Jane Fonda, Chris Rock, Chris McFarlane, Mila Ashton, all, all voicing voicing the show, as well as Vitalik, founder of Ethereum. And then the second project we decided to launch was uh, called The Gimmicks, which is kind of like a South Park meets WWE wrestling show. It's a comedy, a workplace comedy, I'd say an adult comedy. <laughs> and we launched the tokens for free where people could mint a gimmick. And so a gimmick is in wrestling, it's your, you know, the character that you sort of create for yourself, your costume and your persona. And so people could mint their own gimmick. And when you hold a gimmick, you can actually vote on the outcome of the show. So we're releasing episodes weekly. And at the end of every episode, the community who own gimmicks will get to actually vote on the outcome. So they'll go in and, and vote on chain on the website uh, where they, you know, there's a couple different options. When they vote in exchange for that vote, they get issued a token, which is called the dick punch uh, token. Bear with me. I said it was a comedy. And I also <laughs> said it was like South Park style. <laughs> <laughs> The Dick Punch token stands for Diverse Inclusive Community. And it is a token that, you know, it's also a finishing move in the show, the Dick Punch. But the, for every vote, you get a Dick Punch. And so what's interesting that's been happening is everybody who holds a gimmick can also create a backstory for their character by filling out a wiki on the website. And they connect their wallet to, to the website. They then will be able to, if you hold token number 777, you'll be able to edit the story and the backstory of character number 777 and we're starting to bring those characters into the show for cameos and for different appearances and so you know really really helping to sort of bring the community 
into the process of the creation of the show. And what's happening right now with these dick punch tokens is that people in the community are using them to sort of upvote or like for the content that they enjoy. So if someone creates a really cool backstory that I like, I might send them five dick punches to be like, you know, your story's awesome and I want to see it in the show. Or we're finding like after we hold community events, people will send us or the creators or whoever's been on the call, they'll send them dick punch tokens. Again, being like, we love that idea. We want to see that get created. And so, you know, people are taking a number of different on-chain actions every week, which is really exciting because normally when people mint a token or they buy a token, they'll go through this learning process. And like, I can't overemphasize how much some of this technology sucks right now. It's not going to be like this forever. It's going to get better. It's going to get easier. But people have gone through a process like this, for example. They'll have got a Coinbase account and they'll have bought some Solana, which is the chain we launched this on for uh, for the gimmicks. And then they'll have to transfer that soul, which is the token for the Solana blockchain. They'll have to transfer their soul to uh, a wallet like Phantom, for example, which is the, you know, a, a wallet for Solana based tokens. <laughs> and then they'll have to go and connect that to the wallet and then they'll mint the token. They'll get the token. It will sit in the wallet. And that's usually where things end because you just hold your token. You enjoy being part of the community on discord and Twitter and whatever else. And it sort of stops there. Mm. But what we did, so like, that's a huge learning curve for people to overcome for the first time. There's a lot of different technologies there. There's a lot of different steps. And so in six months, if you go to buy something else or you go to trade it, you have to actually go in and sort of relearn what you did and try and recall the steps, which is a challenge when you're trying to allow more people to, you know, become familiar with these technologies. And so when with, with the gimmicks, what they're doing is people are coming back and they're voting every week. And so that means they're coming to the website, they're connecting their wallet, they're validating and verifying they have that token. And then they're feeling and experiencing what it means to place a vote on chain, which is taking a box, but then also signing a signature piece on the wallet um, to say that, yes, I'm taking this, you know, this action and I'm, and I'm approving it. And same thing with the dick punches when they're, you know, sending them to each other's wallets and all these other things, you know, they're engaging on the chain, they're spending more time, you know, in their wallets and becoming more familiar and sort of cementing that learning curve with, you know, with that process daily and weekly Mm. versus every, you know, X number of months when you go to buy, sell or trade. Yeah. I think that's super interesting because what you're saying about the kind of needing to go and like actually practice this stuff, you know, have that big learning curve, because you're right, a lot of the user experience is pretty rubbish to be honest so obviously not for your products i mean so generally (laughs) but like lots of i don't know like trying to use ethereum for the first time lots of this stuff is quite hard and i think that's part of why it's intimidating is you kind of start using some of these things and you're like oh do i have to be a developer to be able to like navigate this stuff so i really like the fact that you're giving people the opportunity to sort of come back and keep learning and i also like the fact that it's free because this is something that me and you have kind of talked about briefly before that I've said, you know, I'm, I'm concerned that we're going to end up with a bunch of people that have made loads of money from like crypto, NFTs, etc. And a bunch of people that arrive on the scene and like can't even afford to get in the game. Um, so so I think it's, it's brilliant that there's this kind of initial like free opportunity to kind of start participating and you're democratizing entertainment that way. But we've spoken briefly about kind of needing to sometimes pay to become part of, say, a DAO or... I know that you're you're keen that everybody should sort of like have skin in the game in terms of actually like you know buying NFTs or yeah buying tokens to participate in a DAO. I'm wondering how, how do you see that playing out so that it doesn't get like prohibitively expensive for certain people or like get yeah. get too divided, I suppose. 
Yeah, yeah, no, and and, and and just to be clear, you know, like I, I, I guess I, I don't think that people should spend a lot of money to, um, to to learn. But I think mm. what I have experienced myself is that I learn a lot faster when I have skin in the game. Yeah, and so I think that that can take a lot of different shapes. Like the gimmicks is a really good example of a you know of a project that had a free token that people could participate with and has two free tokens, right? The dick punch and then your original gimmick as well. And, and so, you know, that, that's certainly helpful. I think, you know, I think that it's really difficult to conceptualize all these technologies, but even if, you know, you've got, you know, 20 bucks that you can throw in, you know, that you can, so you can kind of play and, and see and feel what these things feel like. I think it, it certainly helped accelerate my learning and, and I think, you know, it, I think it's an important part of the part of the process right now. And it doesn't even mean money. Like I said, it could just be free tokens. But unless you're sending them around to different wallets, unless you're minting, unless you're feeling the pain of, of how you go to a marketplace and, and select and buy and sell or trade. It was difficult for me, certainly, to, you know, to really um, see the opportunities, but also, you know, really just to understand and, and get my head around everything that was going on. Yeah, I was exactly the same. I felt like I, sp I spent so much time just Googling or like just going back onto the FAQ page on the on OpenSea, which is like the sort of the, probably the biggest marketplace for buying and selling NFTs and just looking at the FAQs again and be like, I don't understand what gas fees are. Like, why would I why would I need to be charged for just buying something I want to buy? And just kind of all, all that stuff. If you're starting out with zero knowledge, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, to, to, totally. And, and it's like, you know, uh, to that point, you know, it's also a really painful experience when you're starting out with little to no knowledge as well to like, you know, mint your first thing and pay 60 or $100 for gas. Like it's very, it's very confusing. It's overwhelming. And, you know, I think that was one of the other reasons we really wanted to try this particular project out on the Solana blockchain because mm. the gas fees on the Solana blockchain were really, you know, really nothing uh, comparatively, right? It was like a couple dollars compared to what can be quite expensive sometimes on the on the Ethereum the blockchain. So yeah, it, it is it is a wild world. And you know, when you're reading the FAQs, you're going, what the hell's a gas fee? Like then you go and actually go to sign for a transaction. You're like, oh, oh, right. That's that's what gas is. And like that's painful. Or that's in addition to, so I, you know, I know I can't put $20 in to try to buy something that's $20. I got to put more like $25 in or whatever the, you know, yeah. whatever the sort of gas fees are. And it's really like, I don't know, you can read lots about it, but until you kind of go to start to make those clicks and start to make stuff happen, I found that for me, it just doesn't, it's just, it's just a faster way to learn is to just, you know, have some skin in the game and, and, and try and it, it boosts things a lot faster in my brain anyway. But yeah, no, I'm exactly the same here. So if listeners are thinking about, they want to, as you say, kind of go and like experiment, get some skin in the game. Would you have any suggestions for where people might start of like, you know, are there certain either like websites, platforms, you know, even even the gimmicks, anything like where should people start? And so they can sort of like have a play in quite a sort of safe sense. Yeah, gosh, you know, I think especially this week, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of give advice like that in, because, you know, I think, look at my, my best advice is with crypto, the best idea is really not to spend any more money than you can afford to completely lose. Um, and, and so, you know, my, my two cents is to, in, in, in to, is to buy things you really love, right? If you don't love the piece of art, don't buy it because, you know, it minimum, at minimum, if you buy something you love and it goes to zero, you know, you've got something amusing for your wall that you're happy to hold, you know, but if you're buying because you think something's going to go up, 
or it's, you know, you're buying to speculate or you think it's a good investment. Like those get to be really dangerous places. And of course, we are having a big correction this week in, in crypto where we've seen a lot of, of prices evaporate and, and, and sort of tank. And um, that's not uncommon, right? Like we, we you know, crypto is a volatile asset and it's, it's tough to figure out which, you know, where it's going to go one day to the next. So, you know, it's certainly a case of don't invest more than you can lose. But, you know, there's some great places to kind of, you know, dig in, like, you know, maybe join some discords of projects that you think are interesting. Or like I said, you know, find something that's inexpensive that you think is really fun that you're going to have some fun with. Or start with fun. And, and if you're starting with fun and you're learning, then, um, you know, that's kind of, that's the kind of sweet spot you want to try to stay in. Brilliant. This has been super interesting. I've, yeah, I've loved hearing about your career and your, your thoughts on Web3. So, so lastly, I just want to ask, where can people find you online? Oh gosh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, Twitter, Twitter's my jam. I am the McInerney on Twitter, which I probably should re-engineer because McInerney is a horrible last name that has haunted me for a long time because no one can spell it or pronounce it. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's the, the McInerney on Twitter. That sort of tracked me down. Um, and then I'm going to be at Consensus in Austin, um, June 9th and 10th and NFT NYC, June 2021-22. So I'd love to connect there. Amazing. This has been brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much. And um, if people want to watch the gimmicks, everybody's actually able to watch the episodes and the website is therealgimmicks.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. This episode of the Women of Web3 podcast was recorded at Pirate. Whether you have five listeners or 50,000, hosting your podcast from Pirate means that you and your guests can enjoy pro equipment, soundproofing and comfortable seating. Affordable and open 24-7. Explore Pirate's full range of podcast, dance, DJ, rehearsal and recording studios at pirate.com. You can use the code womenofweb3 underscore 15 for 15% off your first booking with pirate.com. That's available till the end of July. 